0: Well, praise the Lord. I guess I'm on and everything's working. I am no longer uh, Pastor Ron Cox. I used to be Pastor Ron Cox of Kingwood Church. I am now Suzanne's husband. (laughs) I do like uh, Joyce Meyer's husband. I'm very obedient. I carry her briefcase, set up her tables, and uh, people look at me and with that look, how did you get her? But God is good. I want to I thank uh, Jay and all the staff we go across the country, and I mean this sincerely, not only when I pastored it, but even so now more. There's no place like Kingwood Church. <laughs> We're not the largest church in the country. We certainly are not the smallest. But there is a sense of legacy here that we've stayed true to. I've watched Jay as he has improved the quality of legacy to make sure that it lasts for decades to come If Jesus tarries. I've listened to his messages. They are wonderful. And there's no church that I know that has made such transitions after 35 years that just about all of the staff is still here. There's been no changes. That's the most wonderful thing. Now let me get a little choked up here. You, uh, some of you are new, you don't know this, but some of you know. You stood with me through some personal, very difficult days. 24 and a half years from a young preacher. I cared for an invalid wife. Roll her up to the pulpit. Preach the gospel from the little church over there to here. And you stayed with me. And you were faithful. Today, there are still issues within our family. But I couldn't feel safer to know that here's a congregation that is not just about themselves. You and We've watched God build the church through personal pain. And that's, that's the best kind of foundation to build on. Nobody wants it, but it's enduring. And I'm so grateful for it and for what God has done. I, uh, it is a joy to be with you. And God is going to do something today inside of our hearts and our lives. I haven't come to straighten up anything. In fact, I, I've been sitting here week after week, and I said, man... What they do, I wish I would have thought of that. You are a fortunate body, and Jay, you and your staff are fortunate to have such wonderful people. Church is 95% people and 5% other stuff. And I want you to know that today. We're not here from the beginning. We're not here to, to build legends. We're here to build legacies. Legends are about individuals. Legacy is about other people. And this church has stayed true to that, of which I am very, very grateful. I did a funeral service last week of one of the great saints of this church, Herschel Carter. I went to his home, and some of you may have went to the funeral, but I just want to take you with me for a moment. We went to see him. A couple of days before he passed away. And we, he answered the door. He had this long oxygen tube line on hooks all through the house. And he said, Preacher, don't step on my lifeline. I said, I promise I won't. He sat in his easy chair. We, in a simple home, we looked at all the pictures of World War II and the Korean War and pictures of his marriage. And stories he began to tell. His daughter had a little album book. And we looked at it about father. He loved camping. He had deer heads on the wall. We just talked about life in general. And I told Suzanne earlier, I know Herschel. I said, what I want to do is, I don't know when he's leaving this world, but I would like, because right now he's not able to go to church, let's just take about a five or a ten minute church service to him. And I started off, oh, it's terrible. You young folks, this would be so old fogey, but I don't care. But I I knew one of his favorite songs was this. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He's the lily of the valley. In him alone I see. And then the. The chorus went, he's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. I said, why would he be a lily of the valley? Well, I did some research before, and so for this one little message that I was going to talk. And the lily in Israel was not as we know it, but they were wildflowers. And they always grew in the deepest of valleys. Isn't that unbelievable? Have you ever been in a deep valley? Lilies grow in the deep. And they grow among thorns. Well, there is one. In the middle is this red, bright, fiery red center and pure white growing among thorns. Kind of sounds like why he would call himself the lily of the valley. I looked at that deer head and I got an inspiration because I've always been an illustrated preacher man. I said, you see that deer head, Herschel? He had those oxygen to him. Yeah. I said, tradition tells us that when a lion or a predator was after that deer or a small animal, that little animal said, if I could just get to that valley filled with lilies and just run into it, I believe I'll be saved. Because from the center of the red dot, from the center of the red dot, there came a fragrance. And the deer would lose his own fragrance of fright and fear. And he would run into the valley. And he'd get the fragrance of the lily of the valley on him. And the lion would go, I think I lost his trail. How many of you, the enemy was after you and almost caught you. But how many glad you ran to the red dot. You ran to the red dot. I pray today that the fragrance of the lily of the valley will get all over you today. In God's presence. Would you give the Lord one more praise? Listen. 1 Samuel 13, 19 through 23. I'm not going to read it, but I want you to write it down. If you are, I want you to use it as a devotion this week. 1 Samuel 13, 19 through 23 and 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 13. It's an extension of a story that I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. There's much more inside of the story. By the way, I must tell you in advance, I know a little bit about leadership Leadership today, young. the preachers would tell you that here's how you preach. You do a one course meal. You serve, if you're serving chicken, don't serve anything else. Set up a nice table. Make it look good. Make all the plates match. Get at least three different kind of points. And hopefully they all begin with the same letter. Hold up a little Story you got off the Internet and say, "This is my Bible." No, 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 not that. And read the, read the little poem. Have a little funny story, a poem, and a song, one course meal, and that's how you preach. I am you can't change me now a golden corral preacher. I, some of you, may not need chicken. You may need ham, ribs. I'm going to shake the bush, and whatever rabbit comes out, I'm shooting that sucker. So no, there's no hiding place for you. Go to the counter that you want, but let's go to the Word of God. In 1 Samuel 13, let me tell you a little of the story. Saul was being dismantled by the enemy. His troops were in reduction mode while the enemy was on the increase. Sounds like our day. The Philistines emboldened sent out three dispatchments or raiding parties in different directions. How many of you know? that the enemy sometimes hasn't just come to you in one direction, he's come at you in many directions. To advance, one of the parties were so emboldened by the sense of spiritual weakness in Israel that they got within two miles of the capital city. How close is the enemy camping near you and your family? Listen to me. Within... Two miles. The enemy was ready for battle. How many know the enemy's ready for battle? God is ready for battle. How many believe God's ready for a battle? How many believe God's ready for a good fight? But the problem is the church, by and large, and its people who sit on the Pentecostal pews are not ready for the battle. Are you ready? For the battle. Over time, through a sense of compromise and retreat, the enemy had strategically disarmed and dismantled the people of God, stripping them of what was important, stripping them of their weapons of warfare. He began to dismantle them, stripping the land of all weapons. Can you imagine an enemy so powerful that he can take a weapon out of your hand? He can have you sit in a church pew and live spiritually passive with no fight inside of you. I want you to listen very close. Listen, I believe I have a word. He took all of their spears and all of their swords. There were only two left, one in the hand of Jonathan and one in the hand of Saul. But the people of God had no weapons as the enemy approached to ruin and take over their land. You see, they denied Israel of an effective fighting force. Is there an effective fighting force going on inside of you? See backsliding doesn't happen overnight. Doesn't happen at the snap of the finger or the burst of a balloon. It doesn't happen because you committed one sin. It's a steady erosion. It's a gradual chipping away. A drip, drip, drip. It's a compromise that you learn to somehow justify until another compromise comes. In verse 19 of chapter 13, to add insult to injury, the Philistines were so... See, the the enemy is confident that he's going to win in America. And he's going to win in your family and in your life. He's confident of that. The Philistines captured or enticed the defection of all the blacksmiths in Israel. They took from within the heart of the church, ripped all of the blacksmith. A blacksmith is not necessarily a vocation. It's a condition that's inside of you. He'll steal the blacksmith out of you. Now listen, God's people not only had no weapons, they had no weapons, but they had no means or desire to make any more. I don't want you, listen to me if you're taking notes, do not this morning lower your expectations to protect your disappointments. I've been disappointed in the past. I've done discovered that our satisfaction level determines our desperation. The church, you can sit in church and come every week and lower your dissatisfaction to the level of where you have become satisfied. Most of the church is satisfied at a much lower level in God than they ought to be. Don't lower your expectations. What if God doesn't come through? So I won't believe this morning that today is a defining moment in my life. Listen to me. Listen to me. The situation was not only bad without weapons, but it seemed as if there was no chance of it getting better. I know the report of the doctor, but I have no weapon. Verses 16 through 19. While the Philistine army, the enemy was increasing in strength to over 30,000 strong with 6,000 chariots and horsemen. Verse 5 of chapter 13, the people of God in their weakness defined the strength of the enemy. They said their soldiers are so numerous, they are as the sands of the sea. There are people that are so defeated that the enemy has become larger And God has become smaller. Listen to me close. An enemy well armed at the doorstep. Listen to me, church. The enemy is at your doorstep. Do You have a weapon in your hand. We're going to get one today. They came against God in all directions. God's people. What a picture. What a picture of our day. Verse 5 and 6. What did the people of God do with such overwhelming odds with no weapon? I'll tell you what they did. They do, and did you know that coming to church can also be a hiding place? They found a hiding place from the battle. They found it inside of caves, thickets, rocks, cisterns, any place that I can, Jay preached on building a wall, any place that I can have a wall between me and my obligation to fight. They went a- AWOL. They defected. They retreated. They camped at a place called micmash Jason will show you this. On the film of Mi- uh, on the, on the screen of MCMash, what a place for God to take us! <laughs> have you ever been in a place like that? Oh God, put me in a garden! You try to hide and not fight, and you're headed to MCMash. Listen to me: things will not get better; they will get worse. We have one choice: to fight. God put the fight. Back in the church. Don't you. Don't you make it Jay's responsibility. Or this church to feed you. Let God feed you. They hid there. Look at it. They saw their situation as critical. And they quaked in fear. If you're taking notes. The tragedy is. The tragedy of life is what dies in sight of a man while he's still living. What has died in you? What has died in you while you still live? The feats of courage and faith that you've chosen to omit and become a spectator instead of a fighter, a lawyer. You've got this walk with God figured out. You have created your parameters around it and an altar call will not disrupt it. The tragedy of life. The should have beens. The could have beens. The might have beens. The ought And we live tortured by it. In verse 22, look at this. This is a key verse. In chapter 13, it came about on the day of battle. How many of you believe? Do you think think there's a battle coming or are we in one right now? Do you know that? Do you have a weapon? There was neither sword nor spear found in the hands of the people. Only in Jonathan. You know what happened? The only iron that they had, stay with me, the only iron that they did have, they chose to make, to use for agricultural and personal purposes. We're not going to use the iron on weapons. We're going to make sure that our comforts Our desires that the iron we have feeds me, builds me a nicer home, takes care of me. This church is not about you. God wants His church back. It's not yours. I didn't get no amens. I said, God wants His church back. Listen, that's all they had. And they found a hiding place. Huh. The iron was used. The only one they had was for implements that would sustain their own quality of life. What is your greatest frustrations? The quality of your own life or the advancement of the kingdom? To allow me to eat more, build more, live higher. They had no desire to make a weapon. They had no desire. They ignored the fact that on the borders is an enemy. If I don't take him on, he'll burn my houses and take my children. Listen. Write it down if you're taking notes. You can tell, I've said this over and over, you can tell where a nation is spiritually by the way that nation treats its children. Did you hear me? Mommies? When the people of God were in bondage for 430 years in Israel. See, you don't just go through something for 430 years. They actually signed a contract to remain in bondage. Their cry was not for a deliverance. Their cry was the pain in the bondage. They didn't care about the bondage. They just didn't want the pain of the bondage. Hmm. This is a quiet bunch. You're you're scaring me to death. (laughs) Stop it! You're in too much control. Well, I don't think people ought to have to shout. No, but they can. Let me tell you. Some of you that are sitting like a wooden Indian in the house of God last night when Auburn and Alabama won, you shouted like a Comanche Indian. (laughs) Be consistent. Jesus died and delivered me. Be consistent. I watch people sit in God's house. I watch some of our own leaders sit. Praise God. Praise God. And I say, you watch a stu- ball game. An oval hot air pigskin kick through a goalpost, and they rip their shirt off and paint their bodies red and put a big A on it. My God! Do you know that there's a river of blood that Jesus shed to keep you out of hell? Stop it! Stop it! Some of you are still in control. You won't be by the time service is over. 430 years, the enemy smelled the fragrance of a lily. I smell, I smell a deliverer coming. You know what the enemy does when he smells a deliverer coming? Pharaoh said, kill the babies. Are you following me? Are you following me over there? Well, over there you think you're hiding under the shadow of the balcony. Some of you, this first time you've heard me, you think I'm mad. (laughs) Baby, I ain't mad. You know I ain't mad. Testify. My God, testify. I'm mad, all right. I'm mad at the devil. I love the church and I love you. I want you to listen to me. So he went after the weakest, the babies. But God had a hiding place for young Moses and the bulrush. How many believe God's got a hiding place for our babies? <laughs> New Testament! Herod sat on his golden throne. I smell the scent of lilies. There's a deliverer coming. Go out and kill the babies. They killed every baby. But how I many know oh, God had a hiding place for Jesus and took him to Egypt? Today, listen, I declare to the enemy, he smells a deliverer coming. There's a deliverer. Does anyone want to get excited? There's a deliverer coming. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel. And the tr- There's a deliverer. Yeah. So what is those in charge doing? Let's go for the babies. Seventy-four thousand, seventy-four million babies have been aborted to stop the deliverer. The redefinition of of marriage is not about homosexual activity or rights or preferences or sexual orientation. The redefining of marriage is not about that to me. It's about to take marriage that was meant to birth babies and make it about the death of a baby because there's no procreation in the life Of a same union marriage. That's where we are. A deliverer is coming. Verse 20 and 21. What a pitiful picture. Of a bondage that you refuse to let go of. Stay with me. Look what happened. They had no weapons, only farm equipment to help their quality of life. God is meant for me. I'm afraid it's not. Sometimes we've taken our faith and we've hit it that says, Lord, not I deny myself, but Lord, I'm glad you're in my life. So instead of me following you, You can follow me as I direct my own plans. That's where the church is today. I want you to listen to me close. I'm going to burn your hide in some ways, but then we're going to get set free, but then I'm going to let Jay clean up all the mess. (laughs) You're a pastor. Step up to the plate, clean it up. They went to the enemy's camp and took a plow, not a sword. They didn't have any. Does your bondage run you around? Would you sharpen my plow?
1: Yes, but it'll cost you.
0: Okay, how much? Isn't that unbelievable that a bondage can literally be like the children of Israel? that the enemy toyed with them and took the straw out of the bricks so that they built their own bondage. They built for the Egyptians. Are you building your own bondage? Is your problems loom higher in you than the deliverer? I'm hoping you're quiet because you're not bored. Listen. God must raise up blacksmiths. Show a picture of a blacksmith, would you? The blacksmiths were gone. Not just a picture of somebody sweating and slaving at a fire ballast, hammering out molten steel in a foundry. A blacksmith in that day was involved from the beginning to the end. The end. Your victory does not start with God Placing a sword in your hand. Starts with him placing this in your hand or under your feet. We want God to give us this. We're not willing to dig for this that contains the iron to make this. We want preachers to give us an easy believism, a quick fix. And we sit and say, it's your fault, preacher. I'll go somewhere else where I think cool things are happening. And our nation is dying spiritually. I told the young man upstairs, he said, this is my first time. I said, I'm preaching today, but please come back. The pastor will straighten it up. from the digging out of the raw material that's found deep in the ground. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 through 9, talks about Israel. Now listen, this is a key. They were in a land where the stones under their feet was made out of iron. Why does God put a layer that's something that i got to sweat and dig Why don't He just give it to me like manna in my lap? We've got preachers today that do that, tell you, you're something. You don't need to know who you are, honey. You need to know who He is. How many know if He took His pinky finger off of you, you'd be dead in the water? Listen. There was iron under their feet. (coughs) The potential. How many know God will not... Listen, God will not put (coughs) a problem on you that you don't have the potential to make a weapon to get yourself out of. Huh? All they lacked were those with a desire to pay the price and see it through. They were through the smoldering and refining to the hammering weapons that are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strong. The potential of weapons were under their feet. All they lacked was inside of God's people a fire that says, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm going to make weapons. It's under my feet and I'm digging for it. You settled for much lower. Go beneath the surface. Go beneath the surface. Are you willing today to dig? Pay the price? Are you? Some of you Masters kids say, Boy, it's tough in Masters. It's more than I thought. Dig! Who do you want? You want somebody to put a sword in your hand? Dig for the rock! Dig for it in raw form! God's made it available. Listen, I'm going to close in just a few minutes. I've mentioned about close. I've told, I said, and now closing, now closing. My daughter one time looked at me and said, Daddy, you've said closing six times in that sermon. How many doors do you have on that sermon? Listen, Hosea 6 3. If you will follow on to know the Lord, then the showers and the latter showers and the former rains will come. First Samuel 14, a few minutes. Stay with me. Don't get bored. Was a story? Here they are, picks it up. The enemy is a knickmash. They have no weapons, no desire to make any. No fight. I'm afraid sometimes we've made it a little bit too easy for you. There was two guys, Jonathan and his armor bearer. They decided. Put that picture of Mick Mash back on there. The enemy was positioned on a half acre of land. A half acre. The Bible says in chapter 14 that, that a team of oxen could easily plow it. You know what I've come to a conclusion? What's defeating you is you're praying too far out in advance. You're praying for the change of America. You're praying for a mighty move of God. You want to know why? Our prayers sometimes, we pray in a distance because it doesn't require anything of us to deal with the present problem that's in front of us. Did you hear what I just said? It's easy to pray when you're praying prayers so big that it's outside of your ability to change it. What about the small contingency that's on a half acre that's looking down on you now? What are you doing about that one? What are you doing about your half-acre need? Listen to me. Listen to me. They decide in verse 1. In verse 1 of chapter 14, they looked up those cliffs and said, I'm going to become a cliff climber. We're going to climb that mountain. We're going to war. That enemy is entirely too close to my marriage. He's too close to my children. He's too close to taking over our country. Why is it that the problem that is immediately in front of you more difficult to solve than the one you're praying about that's in the distance? (laughs) What do you have going on in your life that's close to you? That's where we're going to get victory. Now stay with me. You're going to get victory in the half acre. Now I'm going to tell you how you're going to do it. And then I'm going to call. I'm going to call you down here in just a minute. It's 10-12. I have no clue what times this is. A battle, those, those little battles, those up close battles are easily justifiable of staying out of. Ah, what difference would it make? How many of you ever gone through it? What difference would my attitude make anyway? What difference would it make because I'm spitting mad that God delivered me from that? I mean, there's thousands of Philistines. There's only a few up on that hill. It's an uphill battle. It won't make any difference. My victory would not even be on the radar screen. Two of us against 250. It's like the man where starfish were being washed ashore and he ran out and he started throwing starfish back into the water and when he'd throw one in, fifty would wash ashore, and somebody came up to him and said, Man, you're wearing yourself out. That battle ain't worth it. He said, I see what you're talking. He said, We throw one in, fifty come ashore. He said, I feel that way sometimes that the battle I'm in doesn't seem to be worth it. But he said, All I can ask you is this. Go out and ask the starfish that I just threw back in if it's worth it. How many feel like sometimes what the victories that you do obtain doesn't seem to make much difference? Take the half acre this morning. Now listen to me. He said, why why should should I? Why should I fight? Look at Israel. They're under a shade tree. They found them a place of shade. You know what they're doing? Listen to me. They're polishing their armor of battles of the past. Really? Really? They're eating the low-hanging fruit. And the Bible says you can sit and eat the low-hanging fruit. I'm afraid preachers have accommodated people by making the fruit too low. Get up! Climb the mountain! Defeat the battle that's in your life now! Now! You're not going to sit and eat low-hanging fruit and it make a difference. Whew. I'll be back in about three to four more years and preach again. I'm on, I'll haunt you. They're not concerned. They live in comfort and inaction. Jonathan refused to live under the shade tree. He said to his armor-bearer, we're not going to sit here. We're not going to sit here. Look at verse 6. This is the key right here in verse chapter 14. Look at it. Here's what I want you to make a decision right here. What decision do you need to make? What surrender do you need to engage? What risk do you need to take? What sin do you need forgiven? What attitude do you need changed? He said to his armor bearers, let's go to the Philistine garrison. Look at that next word. It what? Maybe. 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 You know what you're doing? As soon as I get this thing figured out, I'm going to get up and fight. The devil's going to hoop you and you're never getting up. I said get up on a Maybe. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Some people say, not me, brother. I've got it all figured out. I think everything ought to be clear. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Everything I've ever done, son, has been on a maybe. Maybe got to come through. I'd go to the nursing home and look at my little wife when she couldn't talk. And I'd say, I love you, and I'll be faithful to you for one more day. But I'll have to come back tomorrow and tell you the same thing again. Maybe, maybe, some of you want it clear. You want God to give you a total answer. You don't have to have it all figured out to stand up and climb the hill. Yeah. Yeah. Get up on a maybe! Maybe! Maybe, maybe this is the day that that oppression over me will be broken. Maybe, maybe, maybe that healing will come. Maybe that prodigal son's coming home this week. Maybe, maybe. You're thinking too much of yourself if you've got to figure it all out. I've always lived, this church was built on a maybe. I wish I could tell you it was my great strategies. I was a broken preacher. I just stepped out on a maybe. And God came through. God came through on a maybe. Quit being holy. Quit acting like you know. You're already educated way beyond the obedience you're willing to submit to. He didn't tell His Father... And he climbed up and he went between. Boy, I wish you could have got all this stuff. Woof. <laughs> he went between two rocks. How many ever felt like you're between a rock and a hard place? You feel that way now? Listen, he went between a rock called Bose. You know what it meant? It means something hidden. It had a, a glistening, crystallized rock in it and here they were climbing up to meet an enemy that was taunting them from above can you figure that why is that why is this the biggest battle you're going to face is not your future the biggest battle you're going to face is the one you decide to take on today that's the closest to you if you don't take on the one that's closest to you you'll never you'll never see the victory in the larger situation Bo my god I'm blind I can't see I hear the taunts of the enemy, but I can't see. Where is that? Where's my hand grip? Where's it? how many have ever? We walk by faith, not by sight. I mean, that's no, the truth. I'm going through Bozie. I don't see it. My little daughter, I'm believing God. One day, God's going to raise her up. We've got people all over this nation praying. I, you say, have you heard from God? Everybody wants a direct word today. Step out on a maybe. God's faithful, step out on a maybe. A maybe. Take the pressure off you and give it to God. Bo Z, you ever felt like you were blinded? I can't, f- I can't see it. I can't see it, preacher. Well, neither can I. I can't see it, but I... I can feel it. Is that is that immaturity? I don't think you ought to go by feeling, why not? God gave them to you. You're sitting around, is what you're doing working? I can't see it, but I feel it. I feel it down in my nowhere. God's about to rise. And the enemy's about to be spattered. I, I, I feel it. I, I feel it. Then he went, past one more rock. He went by, Senna. Oh God, I don't want to do that. on my way to victory. It was a jagged, thorny rock with brambles. It hurts your flesh every time you go through it. That's why some of you ain't going to be delivered because it's going to hurt your flesh. You want to preserve your flesh. And you want God to change, meet your need, but you don't want to change in the process. You go through those two rocks. The one is you're going to leave tons of flesh behind, tons of it on the rocks if you're going to defeat the enemy. You ready to leave tons of your flesh behind? They got up to the top. Jonathan stabbed one of the guys. Tony said, come on out of your holes. Come Come out of your holes. Come up here. I'll show you something. Oh, really? This church is about to show the enemy something. We're climbing the cliff. We're taking the half acre. He stabbed him. And guess what happened? That soldier had a sword in his hand. And the armor bearer said, Woo! There's my sword. How many know what the enemy has designed to use against you? God is going to use it against him. (laughs) Glory to God. You're not going to be destroyed. They went up. The enemy got confused. This is it. They were defeated and they went, and there was honey on the ground. Honey on the ground? A cliff climber, you don't have, if you've climbed your cliff, you don't have to climb the tree to get the honey. Somebody already climbed the tree. The honey's on the ground. Saul started saying, There's a covenant you shouldn't eat that." to you. Don't listen to people sitting under shade trees. That They'd rather pick pomegranates than to pick fights. i ain't listening to them. They'll tell you that miracles is over. They'll tell you your problem you're going to endure forever. Today. Here's what I want you to do right quick. God spoke to me. Half acre, get it on your mind. Your half acre battle. I'm not talking about out there in the future. Once you handle a half acre, what did God do? He sent an earthquake and handled it all. You are not going to handle the big picture. God will handle the big picture if you'll handle your half acre. Revival is not going to come, Jay, through figuring out the big picture. It's going to come by handling your own half acre. And everybody has a half acre. I don't care how holy you are and how Don't you put that on. That's the reason today. I'm not going to have The folks come down and pray for you. They got a half acre too. They need to come. I want you to stand to your feet. And if you have right now, Suzanne, would you join me, baby? On the inside, I'm not coercing you. God forbid, if you don't even know what your half-acre battle is, you'll never win the larger one. If you've got a half-acre and you're willing to climb, leave some flesh behind, and walk on a maybe, yeah. God will come through. Right. God will come through. I want you right now. From the balcony, you're not hit up there. Step, come down here.